Welcome to this week's edition of the Wispy Mob Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series. I'm your host, Todd, middle initial C. Walker. Yes, that's right. It's me. Welcome to the show. And on the line with me is the gentleman who played both the song and the instrumental piece in the beginning. And you can tell 
from the guitar playing and the singing that this gentleman is a very accomplished one, acoustic fingerstyle guitarist, and also a really, really good singer-songwriter. His name is Carl Tostin, and I'm speaking to him, and he's somewhere in the continental Northwest. Where are you, Carl, and how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for calling. I am in this little town we sold out of Seattle, and I'm in this little town we bought a, a loft, and so I'm living in Dayton, Washington, which is near Walla Walla wine country. So I am just enjoying the sweet, nice 62 degree day right now. Ah, that's absolutely terrific. And we're getting to listen to you, or I am now, everyone else will in about 12 hours, listen to you talk about your musical life and all kinds of good stuff. So that's a good question to start with. How on earth did you start in music in the first place? Well, you know, I... When I got out of high school, I toured for a few years in a country band. And how I got started is my father was a guitarist. And, you know, he was a teacher, but he played guitar. And so I was fascinated from the time I was probably four years old and really didn't start until I was about 11 and just went after it with a passion. And uh, so here I am today, uh, a lot of years later, uh, still playing and still singing and writing and uh, trying to get out there and get my stuff heard. Now, for the guitar players who are listening, they're always interested in knowing what was your first guitar. Do you remember? Um, well, my very first one was a nylon stringed plastic guitar, and I have no idea what the brand was, but my very first good guitar I ever got was an FG-180 Yamaha Red Label, mm -hmm. and I got that when I was probably on, probably about 73 or 4. When you were 73 or 74 years old or 1973? No, when I got it, I got it in 73 or 74. I, I'm not 74 yet, so don't push me over the hill there. No, no, you're much younger than I am. But the, um, how long did you play that guitar before you kind of moved on to something else? Uh, you know, I had that for, I bet, about a year. And then I was uh, mowing lawns and working at the grocery store, and I saved up money and March 8, 1978, I remember the day as vivid as it was yesterday. I bought a Martin D-18 up in Spokane, Washington, and I was I was over the moon for that guitar. Wow. Now, how you remember the day. That is incredible. And I remember how much I paid, $625.35. So, you know, it was a very important uh, event in my life, and it just stuck. Well, you know, it's interesting because I sold a Martin D28 right about that same year because I had lost the use of my vocal cords and temporarily, and I couldn't sing. And when I played guitar, I wanted to sing with it, and it just drove me nuts. And so I ended up selling it for $600. Well, and you know what the funny thing about this guitar is, is I sold it in early 90, and I was watching a friend's guitar shop in uh, Seattle, and lo and behold, I looked on the wall, and there was a very distinct mark because the E string broke, and the core stuck. It broke, and it impaled itself on the top of the guitar behind the bridge. And I looked in there, and it was my guitar. So wow. it came back. <laughs> very weird. Now, did you repurchase it, or? I, you know, I did not. I, I was past that, and and I was into custom made. I, you know, David Weber's, and you know, of course, currently now it's. You know, I went through a, a litany of guitars. I could probably every manufacturer that you could uh, name. I, I have owned their guitars, but I've started finding these really small boutique builders. Uh, you know, especially like there's a guy in Richland here. His name is Dwayne Noble. And then there's a 
guy up in Quebec. He's from uh, Bordeaux, France. His name is uh, Louis Bartol, and he builds Boucherot guitars, and they're just so phenomenal. Well, now, the, I did notice the photo in your um, inside on the, the label of Tomorrow's Perfect Plant. I looked at the photo, and I've seen that photo many times whenever I've opened up the CD. And I looked at it because I owned a Weber guitar back in the two, early 2000s. And I looked at that, and I went, that looks like a W from Weber Guitars. So it's interesting that you did own one. It, 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 well, I owned four or five of them. So, yeah, I had, uh, I had quite a few. And guitars are sort of transitory. As I say, there's no monogamy in mahogany. So it's sort <laughs> of, uh, I just, uh, you know, I get them and I play them. And, and uh, you know, they sort of make their way into somebody else's hand and continue to make music to this day. Now, is mahogany your, your choice for back and sides? You know, it's, I have, uh, well, I'm right now I'm, I'm cradling the Yamaha FSX5, which is their kind of their ode to their uh, red label stuff. And it's, uh, it's mahogany. You know, they just, mahogany guitars seem to just record extremely well in a mix. They seem to have just the right resonance and sonic properties to where they, they work well. But to, for me to play out live, I think I prefer uh, Rosewood and also um, Wang. I, I guess that's how you spell it, W-N-G-E. Mm-hmm. It's That's how you say it. So I've got my favorite guitar is a wing back and sides, and then it's got a, a sinker cedar top on it. It's just, just, a, just a great guitar. Oh, I, I love I I have two or three guitars in, in sinker redwood. And yeah. I just love the, the sound of, and I have not owned one that's a, a sinker cedar, um, but I imagine the it's, minerals and everything from the bottom of the river's affect the cedar like they do the redwood exactly and and what ended up happening with this particular piece is it's extremely light i can't remember how many grams of course they're canadian so it's in grams but it was feather light and uh he was able to uh make it very thin because it's very stiff Mm -hmm. he said it's extremely stiff he said it was probably as close to adirondack as he's ever seen from a a softer wood guitar and it's banjo loud it just is you can you know, play really, really subtle, or you can just, you know, flat pick it and it'll just, it'll do everything. And it has a very, cause I've seen the photos of, of both your, your customs um, that you emailed me and they both have that kind of chocolatey dark tan top. Yeah. And the, well, in the, the one I, one is the uh, noble and that has a redwood top. Oh, okay. So it's redwood and the other one's sinker cedar. And it's, uh, you know, it's just, it's just a phenomenal wood. I, I never really considered it back in the day. I always thought, well, cedar is this and that, and it's on classicals. And, uh, but it, it is just, it's become one of my favorite woods. Now you, you play for your own pleasure, high, you know, custom made boutique guitars, like you said, but you, mm-hmm. you've been a clinician for a number of guitar companies. I think you were for Gibson for, for a number of years, but you're currently mm-hmm. or have been recently for Yamaha. Yeah. And you know, my main gigging guitar is a Yamaha LS6R. So it's an L series. I believe you had an LL16 or something. Yes, I did. And, and an LS16 um, <clears throat> as well. Oh, okay, so I have I have the laminate back and side version of that, mm-hmm. and uh, I really love that guitar. I have uh, I have played that out at so many gigs for the last probably five six years, and it, it's just a 
it's a it's a remarkable instrument and it's it's four hundred and ninety nine dollars mm-hmm. i mean so it 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 does everything I want it to do it never fails to perform um you know as far as finesse buys it's you know it doesn't have some of the sonic properties of my customs, but you know as an overall uh phenomenal guitar and one that you know if somebody stole or or broke it or whatever uh you know i I can get they made a whole lot more of them. It wasn't like one of eight that the guy made in a year and I'm going to have to wait two years or three years till they can get back to it. So it's, it's a great guitar. I love it. Well, and you do play, I mean, your style, although it's primarily fingerstyle, you're one of the more, what I, well, I would call the contemporary fingerstyle guitar players. You don't just play fingerstyle guitar. You use the guitar top as a drum head and yep. uh, the sides and everything. And I would imagine that the, um, the Yamaha can handle everything from a quiet ballad while you're singing to the what I call the pyrotechnic type of playing. Yeah, and it does. And that's one of the reasons I chose the laminated back and sides because, you know, I've got so many friends that had solid wood guitars and they would try to do those things. Um, and, you know, they'd split aside or... Um, and I, I actually did that on... I had an LS16 as well and I, I split the uh, lower bout and the waist. Mm-hmm. Um, in the front and it's, it broke one day and I was like, wow, what, how did that happen? Cause I, I don't really <laughs> strike the guitar that hard. It's, it's amazing. I don't, people think I'm really just wailing on it, but, but I'm not, it's, it's more, you know, with the pickup system that I have, um, you don't really have to go after it and it'll pick everything up for you. Now that's another question. A lot of the guitar players who listen are going to wonder about is what type of pickup <clears throat> system do you use in that Yamaha? I have, well, it came with a, their under saddle ART, um, pickup system. Um, and I, I basically took that out. Uh, it was just a passive under saddle and, uh, or, so what I did is I put a, a Seymour Duncan Meg mic, which I've used, I, I used to have an, an endorsement with them and I still use this thing, even though, um, most of the people that work there that I knew or have, have left for other fields and, uh, so I use the mag mic. It just is one of those bulletproof. You can go up on stage at a, a festival or, you know, I've opened a few shows for like Tuck and Patty and, and Lila Downs. And so you're in a, like a 800 seat auditorium or something and you'll plug into the DI and the sound guy. I'll just tell them, you know, run it flat. And then you can kind of mess with the mids a little. And everyone's told me that, that pickup just, it's just flawless. It works great. I don't have to mess with my board much and, you know, just throw a little verb on there and we're good to go. Now, do you play through a pedal board of any kind? You know, I had a G1 on FX, this little zoom pedal and I've had other things, but generally speaking, I, uh, I have a Yamaha stage pass 600, one of the new ones, and mm-hmm. it's got, you know, all their really good reverbs and stuff. And, I've just never had a need for a pedal board. Um, and so I, I really like to keep things as simple as possible. Well, and obviously you haven't been able to travel as much in the past two years as, as prior to that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, that's true. Yeah. But having a simple setup like that, because when I used to do a lot of the songwriter showcases and open mics and people would come in in my songwriter showcases, they would come in and do a half hour's worth of music or maybe 35 minutes for the open mics, it was two songs. Right. Someone says, well, why do you only do two? Why don't you do three? I said, well, you know, the first one is to let me and the audience hear. Sometimes the second song is one too many. And Mm -hmm. it just, you know, so why do three? 
but some people would show up with a pedal board that was like four feet long. You know, they'd have to carry that up, <laughs> plop it down. We'd plug everything in and then they couldn't get sound out of something. They'd be rerouting and then their 12 minutes of fame has disappeared with no music. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that, that is the other scenario is that, you know, I've went and watched a few people play and they, they're, they're trying live. They're trying to get this almost like a coffee shop sound, what I would call the coffee shop sound, which is, you know, an exact representation of the guitar and you can't hear them. You know, I yeah. I won't mention the band, but I went and listened, and the one guy was playing a Takamini, and uh, great sound. I mean, it just was perfect in the band set. The other guy had a LR bags, whatever their soundboard transducer was, and this big preamp, and and you couldn't even make it out. It was just you kind of hear notes every once in a while. It was just too big and round and not focused and and uh, inappropriate in the band settings. Now the how did you get into the the playing style that you have with the tapping and everything? Was that something that you heard someone else do it and went, I th- "That's cool," or was it more organic? Well, it was it was sort of organic, but when I was a, uh, you know, it was probably in the late seventies. They used to have uh, people would come around and do assemblies at uh, high schools and shows and things of that nature. And I remember a band came and they were they were Spaniards. And they, of course, had a lady that danced, and the guy danced, and there were two guitarists, and she played claves. And and uh, but I remember one of the guitar players turned his guitar over, and he started playing it like a drum. And I was, I mean, I was just that one just smacked me right upside my head because it made me go, oh, <laughs> it is a drum, it's a wooden drum. And so, kind of from that point on, I it it was sort of just brewing in the back of my head, and then. As I started to go out and play, especially solo gigs, I realized that, you know, the days of Bob Dylan sit, sitting up there uh, with his guitar and singing for five minutes with just strumming and, you know, the capo wasn't going to hack it for me. So I figured I needed to sort of fill up the sonic landscape. And that that's really where all that came from. And then, of course, later on, I ran into, you know, Phil Kagi and, you know, I heard about... Unfortunately, I didn't hear about Michael Hedges till he passed. And then I could find him because, you know, back in the 90s, you couldn't go into the store and say, oh, yeah, I want Michael Hedges. They're like, mm, we don't have that. Yeah. I had to buy um, Aerial Boundaries, the CD, on eBay, yep. and it took me over a year to find it. You know, and that's the unfortunate part about uh, this genre. Well, I wouldn't say it's an unfortunate thing. It's just the reality of, of music is that there is so much good stuff that just slides by and people, you know, we just, we like go to the smorgy and walk down the line and we don't really know that there's this subculture out there of players and singers and songwriters that are, you know, they're just amazing. In fact, I would say, you know, a step above what what you're hearing on the radio they just you know it's more interesting it's more musical it's you know the lyrics are better as far as i'm concerned well and i find because i write a, a monthly article called guest geek review gear review and i'm always searching for stuff and then i do a, another article called music musings um and i started doing that during covid because people couldn't get out they couldn't go out oh, to listen yeah. to live music and so what ended up happening is I'd check out something on YouTube because somebody said, hey, check out this, or maybe I'd see it on Facebook. And then over on that right-hand side, they've got the list of other videos that might be similar to that, might not. And I find mm-hmm. it's like a treasure trove to me. That's what I use YouTube for. 
And I yeah. have just learned about so many people I never would have discovered any other way. Yeah, and it's, it's exactly true. I mean, I, and the, the really wonderful part is now that I can go and I can find some of, you know, old Richie Valens mm-hmm. or uh, old Bucky Pizzarelli. I loved jazz and I play jazz and I can find all these obscure videos of them playing at some club in New York in the fifties, Lenny bro, you know, uh, you name it, you can find this thing. So, I mean, the resources now, when I look at 20 years ago and I look at what's going on now, you can find anything you want. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's at your fingertips. Whereas before, you know, I tell these younger people like 20 years ago or 22 years ago before the internet was popping, you could go into a record store and you could say, Hey, can you order this? And you know, they pull out their book and they'd flip through pages and go, eh, maybe, you know, it'll probably be two or three months or, and, and now it's, it's right there. Yeah. Growing up, if it wasn't on what we used to call top 40 radio, I did not know it existed. Yeah. Well, and I mean, that was, that was the, uh, I guess the, we were all kind of like islands mm-hmm. um, and, you know, you, you couldn't find this stuff unless you stumbled upon it, you know, and it was, uh, well, in another going back to how I started playing that there was a guy named thumbs Carlisle, not to segue back into that, but, uh, he played his guitar laying in his lap. And I mean, this is from like the forties and he played jazz, uh, with the guitar laying in his lap. And, uh, he was just, you know, he was an, a guy that was just obscure. And, and, uh, you know, after I saw him, uh, a video of him, I was just like, holy smokes, this guy is just amazing. So his name is Thumbs Carlisle? Yeah, they called him Thumbs Carlisle because he played with his right hand um, just like a piano, and he used his thumb to reach out and grab these chords. And that's that's kind of where that song, Over the Top, that's sort of because I use my thumb on some of the things, and I get these huge stretches from you know your bass note all the way down to your treble notes. And it's you know trying to play that um in the standard position, there's no way you could play it. You would be stretching like eight or nine frets, and that's just impossible. Now, do you prefer to play in standard tuning, or are you more of an alternate tuning guy? I do a lot of both. Um, you know, I write a lot of jazz pieces in standard, and then, uh, you know, I've got some jazz and open tunings. I've got, you know, like Tomorrow's Perfect Plans and Open D, I believe, and uh, uh you know, I do like minor six recording or uh, playing um, sus fours. I've got a capo that I've made that allows me to, it's sort of like the third hand capo, but it's just something that I put together um, using a Kaiser Pro-Am capo and uh, putzing around with that. So I, I'm able to, uh, you know, go from standard or in a alternative tuning and I can change it further from there just by using the capo. So it makes the show a little bit more seamless. I don't have to sit there and tune all the time. Now, when you do a show, do you have a, a set list or do you just kind of wing it when you get up there, depending on what the crowd seems to be enjoying? You know, I, I have a set list. I have songs because a lot of times when you're playing, especially, you know, like I'm playing around here at some of the wineries cause that's really what's open now. Um, things are starting to roll, but a lot of times I will try, I'll put a set list down because I've got all these new songs that I want to try out. And a lot of times if I'm playing, you know, you sort of forget about the new songs and you just go with the stuff, you know. So I try to purposely, um, have that down there as a point of reference so that I don't 
just gloss over that. Well, speaking of new songs, on your website, and for those of you listening, if you'd like to check out Carl and his music, you can go to Carl Tosten, that's T-O-S-T-E-N.com, carltosten.com. And he, his, um, on his menu line, it's home and then free MP3s. And yep. you'll pull it up and there'll be four photos and then one on the bottom that'll have Summer's End kind of um, superimposed on it. And mm-hmm. the I've downloaded both, and I don't know what the title of each of the tunes are, but I guess the, the is it a new release or not yet to be released? Well, basically what I'm doing, that is the very first song on there is called installments. And so what I had started to do, because you don't sell CDs anymore. Correct. And so what I'm doing is I'm, I'm doing installments. So it's going to be like the never ending gobstopper. I'm just going to keep <laughs> adding songs to it as it goes. And there's vocal pieces that are coming and more instrumental stuff, but I'm just going to keep adding to that. And so it's going to be this one continuous, I guess, recording called installments now the third one over you're sitting on a stool um next to a a acoustic amplifier with some guitars hanging on the wall what's the title of that one you know i i don't that's probably uh i probably don't even have a name i think it's a jazz tune it kind of jazz and funk well because i'm i'm not sure at the just I'm, I'm, I don't have my computer in front of me. I'm sitting outside here. That's quite right. I'm going to play it, and probably for about 30 or 45 seconds so people can hear what one of the, the songs on the installment sounds like. Is that cool? That'd be great. Here it comes. Well, that is that the jazz one. I think it is. No, no, that that one's called "Easier Said Than Done." Ah, um, and that was uh, kind of a, it, it breaks in. That's uh, you know I've since added to that tune, um, in, in which I do uh, on occasion as I'll listen to something back, and then I will, I will come up with a uh, a lead piece or mm-hmm. uh, sort of a, an entryway into it, and. Uh, so that, that one's called Easier Said Than Done. Well, it, it's interesting in that one. And what I love about it is you, you're you doing multiple string bends instead of just one. Like a lot of rock players, they they hit that B string generally. You know, and a, But yeah, it yeah. seems like you've got two or three strings, and it's almost gives it kind of a Hawaiian guitar sound. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's, uh, you know, that, that stuff sort of influenced by uh, Jay Graydon uh, when he did that solo on Peg. Mm-hmm. 
um, he did kind of a very similar thing in the beginning of that. And, you know, again, those are things that sort of stick in your mind and you don't consciously like say, oh, I'm going to do this. But then you hear it and you're like, oh, I kind of get what he's doing. And so you sort of move that over onto, uh, you know, your compositions and, and then it ends up coming out. Now, in your when you're composing, or however you want to call it, a fingerstyle piece, do you have something set in mind in the beginning, or do you just are you just noodling and all of a sudden say, "Ooh, I like that." Uh, generally, what I will do is, uh, you know, I'll hear something and then then I have to figure out how I'm going to do it sonically because, um, especially playing in uh, alternative tunings or doing uh, with capos, you know, you you get a you get a sense of something and then you, then you have to try to learn it because it's not, you know, it's not ladder. It's not just a, I guess in the standard tuning. So you, you can't just fall on uh, the normal chords that you would use. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you just kind of have to go after it. Now it does, is there an average length of time it takes you from beginning to when you're happy with it? Not when it's completed, but when you're happy with it for an instrumental tune. You know, the the really sad part of it is, and I heard a, a filmmaker say, he goes, films are never, you know, his films are never finished. He just abandons them. <laughs> uh, and uh, I think, I think in, in regard to, honestly, a lot of instrumental stuff I've done is that I will listen back and, and two years from now, and I'll think, why didn't I do that? Or why didn't I do that? Or I should have changed it. And, and a lot of times I will change it after it's recorded. Uh, when I'm playing it live. So I, I don't know if a person's ever like completely, or at least me, I can speak for myself, is ever really, really happy. Like I just nailed it and everything's the way I wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you you make compromises and, and you finish the song and you go out and play it and then you have all these other ideas uh, for it. So I guess if that answers the question. <laughs> no, it does. And then from your your songs because i learned learned recently i someone corrected me because i was i was playing or we were discussing an instrumental piece and i said song he goes no that's not a song that's a tune a song has lyrics in it and i went oh okay <laughs> but anyways in your songs do you do you write the lyrics first or do you write the music first or is it kind of a combination of the two it's a combination um of the two um you know, I just, in fact, I'll explain. I uh, have a friend and he is gifting me a 1943 J45. Ooh. And uh, it's, he's, he's been a friend for a long time. He worked at Gibson and he's just, you know, he's one of those guys. He's, he's getting up in age now. But uh, I sat down and I put my capo on into an ESUS four chord, which is, you know, basically three of the n- notes at the very top on the, the A and the D and the G string are compressed at the second fret so it's like a sus4 chord and i started playing this song and it was and i titled it the house that never changes and uh you know it's a it's a vocal song but i had the instrumental portion of it i pretty much just blew it off it just came out and uh so every song is different sometimes i'll have an idea uh for a lyric because something strikes me and Mm -hmm. uh and then i'll write the lyrics and then you know, write the music to it, or sometimes it's the music first and the lyrics second. 
Now, do you write everything down or is it all done in your head and then you just have to remember it? So if it, you don't go back to it for two years, you go, oh, gosh, how did I play that? Um, you know, most of it is just in my head and I, I've never really forgotten anything. Um, there's times where it's, it's a little rusty and you're trying to, you know, think, what did I do there again? What did mm-hmm. I say there again? Uh, but I, you know, I, I will sort of scratch them down and I, you know, obviously I have those big yellow pads and, mm-hmm. and I will find those all crumpled up and think, Oh, there's that song, uh, and continue to write on it or, uh, you know, discard it and use it as what I call my wrecking yard of songs. And I go in and take choruses out of things or pieces and parts and put them into other songs. Now, do you have a specific, like when you go out and play these winery gigs and around here, and I'm based out of the Frederick, Maryland area, as, as you know, because we've communicated in the past. Yeah. The, um, if someone wants to play live music, whether it's a band and bands are much tougher than, than, uh, you know, acoustic performers to try to find gigs. Uh, but it's the wineries, the farm breweries and the distilleries. That's pretty much where you're going to play. Fortunately, this winter, many of those venues have started having music indoors again. Um, not too many over the last six weeks because the, the you know, COVID spiked, but it's dropped back down into the, the 4% positivity rate. So the, um, and then when it comes summertime, everybody's outside. So it, it, it's uh, much, much better. But when you go in to play, say a three hour um, or a four hour winery gig, is there a set list that you tend to use and then you'll vary slightly from it? Or do you make it up before you go saying, well, you know, the weather's going to be nicer or, you know, whatever it is. This winery, I played this these songs last time, I'll play these. How do you, how do you go about that? You know, I pretty much just have all my songs and I put them down and uh, uh, I'll just vary it um, depending on the crowd. I mean, sometimes I get a crowd that they will sit and they will not talk at all. They will listen from start to finish. And those are the moments where you're like, oh, you know, the sun is shining from heaven and all is well. (laughs) And then there's then there's the gigs where, you know, you can set yourself on fire and nobody would probably notice but uh i pretty much just have a standard set list and then i just you know they're all written down and then i just pick and choose sure. as i go now do you do you <clears throat> tend to perform them in a mix of instrumentals and then songs or do you yeah i do yeah I, i'm sorry i didn't mean to cut you off uh yeah i do i uh, i will i will sort of usually start out with something pretty hot and fast and you know kind of hard driving and then I'll come out with a song that's sort of in that vein. And then I'll, then I'll sort of vary it. And, and I try to, to not do all, you know, a big clump of instrumentals or a big clump of vocal songs and just sort of vary it. And, and, uh, and again, it's dependent on what, what people are into. I mean, sometimes I'll just sing, that's all I'll do. And I'll play maybe one or two instrumental songs. So uh, you kind of just have to read the crowd and go with it. Now, do you do all originals or do you throw in covers? I have a few covers that I do, you know, of course, Jackson Brown, a Fokelberg tune and, uh, you know, a Tom Waits or not Tom Waits, John Waits, who was, it was actually written by Chad Sanford. It's a song called missing you. Mm-hmm. I did, I think with the babies, uh, you know, and, and like a crowded house tune and things that are sort of up tempo that are recognizable. And, and I've got, you know, several others, but most of what I do is just, uh, original music. Now the, um, 
what kind of a rig do you have when you perform at a winery? What do you use? Um, I have a Yamaha Stage Pass 600i, mm-hmm. and that's usually what I do. I just will bring one speaker with me, and it's got the power amp, which clips into the back of it. And then, of course, a vocal mic, and, and then I use a uh, I use a wireless, a 5.8 gigahertz wireless. And also, a company out of Taiwan just sent me this. And for guitars that don't have pickups, I have a uh, – it's called the Cloud Vocal. Uh-huh. It's a uh, wireless condenser microphone. Wow. And it just – you can either clip it on the top or it comes with these little adapters where you can slip it into the sound hole. And it's just amazing. I mean, just incredible because I've got guitars that I haven't bothered to drill holes in. And sometimes I'll go out and do a gig and I really want to take the guitar I want to take with me. And if it doesn't have the uh, pickup in it, then I will just bring that and it just works phenomenal. It sounds a lot like, and would you say the name is? It's called Cloud Vocal. Uh-huh. Because there was a, a product out, oh gosh, two or three years ago. And the girl that was, uh, it was a young um, Asian girl sitting on her patio or deck, um, speaking into it and then playing guitar. And I've forgotten what that was called, but that sounds very similar. I wonder if they it probably, kind of... it probably is the same company. They've, they've revamped it. Cause I had one of their very first, mm-hmm. I probably got like six years ago yeah. and they just sent me a new one. And then of course he sent me these new adapters where you can, you can plug into your phone and record and it's, with the preamp that comes with it, it's got onboard nice verbs and EQing and things of that nature. It, it really is a it's a phenomenal system. And w- the um, again, it either goes into an adapter that's almost like a sound hole pickup. I think doesn't it? Well, the the actual microphone, the actual microphone, you can act, stick it to the top, and it's got a little gooseneck on it. Okay, and that's you can the one. Yeah, put it. Yeah, and then there's they made these little rubber pieces that cradle that uh, microphone, and then you can slip it into your sound hole, and it it spans the gap between, and then you can just adjust it in there, and it's got different mic settings on it, so you can either be low output or medium or very high output, and then. It's wireless and it'll it'll last like four hours. Wow! Now, now, do you just stick it on the top, or do you put it into the sound hole? You know, it just depends. Uh, I've got a couple guitars. Like my Bouchereau is a uh, the sound hole's not quite big enough. Mm-hmm. It's a uh, the way he tuned the box. But like on my baritone, I can just uh, slip that thing in, and uh, you know, any of my other guitars, I can just slip it in and and just get that very realistic. Like I said, I call it the coffee shop thing because it is very accurate to the guitar once you get that mic in the right place it'll it sounds almost dead on to the guitar now is is it uh, and you probably don't play it in a loud enough situation to create feedback but is it somewhat feedback resistant or do you have to be conscious of the fact it's a mic well you have to be a little bit conscious but that's one of the things i love about yamaha's they've got like on their uh stage pass and in many of their uh outboard gear they have this an anti-feedback thing and it's automatic oh wow and so you you push the button and i mean when it starts feeding back it, it will grab that frequency and and the blink of an eye and it goes away really so it yeah and that's one of the things like i said yamaha just seems to have i mean they do so many things well and they really kind of dominate the field as far as i'm concerned uh you know in outboard gear keyboards pas and 
speakers. They just they just know what they're doing, and they've been doing it for a long time. Now, how did you get into or connected with them so that you became a clinician for them? Um, you know, I had contacted their marketing manager, and this has been, gosh, in like 2010, and I had they were just going to release their new A series guitars, and I had contacted them because kind of the Gibson thing had sort of ran its course. And, and I was looking, and of course I've had a very long standing relationship, just buying gear from them for, mm-hmm. you know, 35, 40 years. And, uh, so I contacted the marketing guy and I flew down and kind of did a little demo stuff for him. And then I was at the NAM release, uh, 2011, uh, in Anaheim for the A series. And then I started, uh, you know, it just went from there. I started doing a lot of in-store demonstrations and trade shows, Dallas Guitar Festival, blah, blah, blah. Um, a lot of different things. So that that's really kind of how it started. I just, just contacted them and uh, I flew down and did an audition and I got the gig. Oh, that's terrific. Now, when you do the NAM, NAM shows or a big show like that where you have many different manufacturers and lots of people, is it difficult to demo the guitars because of all the noise around you. Well, see, that's the wonderful thing about Yamaha's not on the main, they're not in the main halls. Oh, they're not. <laughs> they actually, no, they're actually across the street at the Hilton. They have this big room. Well, I mean, they, they have so much gear. They fill up, they would, they would probably fill up, I don't know, an, an eighth of the floor at Nam, mm-hmm. uh, just because they've got so much stuff. So they, they rent these big, huge, uh, you know, I guess they're ballrooms and things and they've got removable walls. And so it's, you know, just a huge, huge venue there. And so they've got guitars in one corner and drums in another and PAs and keyboards and all the woodwind, brass wind and so on and so forth uh, all over the floor. So it's actually a much more sedate than when you walk across and walk through that door and just hear this cacophony of noise, just pound you like a sledgehammer. Well, I would imagine doing what you do and also just from a, from how good you are as a performer, you must get invited to, and I think I saw an image of a poster on the left-hand side of your one of your pages on the website, um, to, um, I, I want to call them showcases, but they're concerts <clears throat> with multiple people. It might be, you know, six or seven or eight, and many of them, what I would call the mainstay fingerstyle people. And you're part of that group. Like, you know, I would put you in that top 10 of if, if, if someone was having a concert and bringing all the, the top fingerstyle people, you'd be one of them. Well, that's, that's flattering, but probably not, uh, probably not completely accurate. You know, it's, it's such a, you know, I've done things like old star guitar nights, uh, Yamaha sponsors, and there's all the Rittenauer and Stern and, you know, Lukather and all these guys come and, uh, and that's been, that's been amazing, but you know, it's, it's kind of like, it's, it's, a, there's a, I don't know, I, I guess a section of, I'm one of the older guys. <laughs> to, uh, well, I mean, it, it's true. And I understand how this works. You, there's all these new guys that are just great players. Yeah. Um, and uh, they're out there. And I think, you know, it's, it's just the nature of the world. You know, they want something new and um, no complaints. I've had my time in the sun, but uh, yeah, there's, you know, there's opportunity. And I think, you know, I've gotten, I've been fortunate to play with, uh, you know, like Trevor Gordon Hall, who's out of uh, 
Pennsylvania. He's just a young kid who's very nice, and he's just a, an amazing composer, a great guitar player. And uh, I've done a few shows with him and uh, a few other guys. And, you know, I'm hoping that this next year will open up because I want to I want to get back east and, and uh, see if we can put some shows together. Well, I, on your schedule page of your website, you actually have lots of gigs coming up. Um, well, well, I know I say lots of gigs, probably not in relation to what it would have been, say, three, four years ago. But in today's yeah. world, to yeah. <laughs> some of the local people here, like my gig schedule for the summer is two. <laughs> yeah, well, and I'm I'm working on, I've got several more in the works. And it's just, it's, like I said, it's, it's a... Uh, especially coming out of COVID because a lot of these venues now are booking the people that they canceled. So there's just, you know, it's, it's like this uptake is, is going to be a little weird until everything gets satisfied. And uh, then we can see if we can kind of start at ground zero and build our way back up again. Well, playing the wineries that, you, that you're doing, is that exposing you to people who might not have known who you were in the past? <laughs> Yeah, it, it does. Um, I, I would call this a complaint, but unfortunately around, you know, people in general like cover tunes a they, lot. They do. And, uh, you know, I, I always find that for me personally, it's it's a very unfortunate scenario uh, because it's, you know, I I have never... I have never gone for, I guess, what is mainstream anything. And so I, I suppose anytime you're doing something that's uniquely you and it's your thing, your art, you know, it's it's not going to be in the mainstream. I mean, it's just the reality. But, uh, you know, I mean, playing at the wineries, I've met some wonderful people. And, uh, you know, obviously people come from all over the country and all over the you know, especially Washington, Oregon, uh, over to Walla Walla. It's a, it's a very well-known wine region and some very, very high-end wineries. Well, now, the you said it's about 62 degrees there today. Yeah. Is, is your winter, I mean, do you have lots of snow days, or is, are you a fairly, you know, moderate where you are in, in Washington State? Well, generally speaking, they don't get a ton of snow. I mean, we're, we're in the Blue Mountains or right at the foothills of the Blues. But this winter, we got, you know, like 14 inches at one time. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, you know, it, we got some days that were below zero. And just recently, you know, some sub 10 degree weather for, for quite a long period of time. I don't think it maybe broke 20 for a few days, but, uh, it's, it's finally kind of coming back around. So, it, you know, the potential is here for, for snow. And I mean, they need it up in the mountains, obviously for uh, runoff, but, uh, it's not that enjoyable. Now, when you get into April, has the weather warmed up enough in that area so that you can play outdoors or do you still need to be under a tent or something? Um, generally speaking, like a lot of the wineries have these cool tasting rooms and mm -hmm. they have roll up doors and because of COVID, the city allowed them to take up some parking spots out on the street. Uh -huh. And so they have, they have additional seating out there. And, uh, so if the weather permits, they can fill up the inside and then fill up the outside. So, you know, it's kind of like on a day by day basis, uh, it might be, you know, 40 degrees or 45 degrees and then up near 70 in a week or two. So, you know, it, we just play it by ear when I show up. 
Now, from a recording standpoint, when you want to record music, do you have a setup in your home or do you have a, a go-to studio that you like to use? You know, I have a setup in my home and the reason the reason for that is it, it's, you know, it's very hard to go into the studio and, and feel normal and natural and mm-hmm. not know that there's a time constraint or whatever. So I have, I have a computer based things that I use and, uh, you know, the, I seem to, I think I get pretty good results from it. And, uh, you know, especially I, I guess I'm one of those guys, I, I sort of look at the, you know, how much you, your cost factor to your return basis on something, sure. you know, it has to be, you know, I, I know that I'm not going to be, uh, my recordings, if you were some techno head and i know some of these geeky guys that would uh, probably be able to pick a few things apart but you know i've had a lot of people tell me oh cd sounds good it's you know it sounds doesn't sound like it was recorded in your room so i you know i just go with what i've got now do you use a combination of a condenser mic in front of the guitar plus the pickup system when you record or how do you go about choosing that well, generally when I'm recording, I, I have done both. I have used uh, small diaphragm uh, condenser mics, um, obviously pointed strategically. And then I, I use a Gibson LC1 that I have. It's a Brazilian Adirondack um, with a K&K, mm-hmm. a Trinity, Trinity system in it. Uh, and it's one of the very first, I, I met Dieter in like 98, April of 98 in like Redmond, Oregon. I was doing a Tacoma guitar, uh, demonstration and he gave me the system and I worked with him and we came up with, I, cause he made these little mini condenser mics for, uh, drums. Mm-hmm. I said, well, you should, you should create a preamp and, and, you know, put this together with your soundboard transducers because they sound really good. And and I I like the sound of the recording. I just like the sound of that when it's recorded. It sounds very full and thick and uh, more guitar-like. The microphones can be really weird about um, how you place them, and mm-hmm. they either sound too warm or they sound too airy or they sound something. I like more of the direct sound. Well, or if you tend to lean sideways or look over your shoulder or something and you move away from the mic and, and the sound changes, you're absolutely correct. Now, I'm a, yeah. I'm a dealer installer for K&K and have been since the early 2000s because oh, a, cool. a friend of mine, Gray Burchett out of uh, North Carolina, who's built me probably five guitars, um, I only ha- have the one now. And that's, that's with the, that was my first Sinker Redwood guitar. And it's oh, a cool. very, very warm sounding walnut back and sides. But oh, the, yeah. um, he was a proponent then of K&K. He says, you, have you heard of these? And I did not. And uh, the first install I did, I think there were three, four guitars. I put the Trinity system in. I have since not used it. And I'll tell you why is I was performing in the house, getting ready for a gig one time. I'd set up my, cause I use a Bose PA. Right. And I had my little belt pack um, for the Trinity system, the preamps, I could switch back and forth and I had turned the volume up on the, the microphone and I'm playing and I'm thinking, you know, this just sounds so darn good. And I, you know, I, I had to take a break. So I took the preamp off and set it down. When I went to put it back on, I realized that I had been playing with just the, the um, transducers the entire time. And I thought it was the mic and I thought, <clears throat> so then I did an AB comparison and they were so close 
for a loud room that I just decided I'm just going to use the, the, the minis. Yeah. Well, and I, I use the larger uh, soundboard ones. They're like the three-quarter inch, the older ones. Yep. And I actually like those more. But what I did on the mic uh, is uh, I actually drilled a dowel out. It was about a half an inch dowel. And I, uh, if you can imagine it, I just drilled the center out. And then in the middle of the dowel, I drilled a hole and I slipped that over the top of the microphone. So I made it non, it's not an Omni mic anymore. It was very directional and I could point it and it, that really helped. Ah, that's, now, now where does the, the dowel sit in the guitar? Well, the dowel sits right on top of the microphone. It slides right on over oh, okay. the microphone and it basically changes the field of the mic. And so I was able to, because one of the problematic portions of that is that it's, it's, it's an Omni kind of mic and it, it really could get some crazy things going. And so I, I called it a T tube and I slipped it on. He was doing that for a while. He was sending it out. He had, he had produced them sort of, I think out of PVC or something. And then I think he abandoned it. Um, but I still use it in my guitar. I just think that it, uh, I've got a wooden one that I made. And, uh, I, I just think for the microphone, it, it, it definitely, uh, aided and abetted that and especially for doing the percussion stuff the uh-huh. soundboard transducers don't pick up that nice crisp pop right um, that but but you're right about this the soundboard transducers by themselves for most people that's all you need and in the passive form if you've got a, a good board uh good you know like even on my uh yamaha stage pass you can plug into that passively and those things sound round and warm and not thin at all yeah the um the problem i used to have and although i don't host open mics anymore and unfortunately can't do many songwriter showcases although i do a little sunday brunch thing at a cute little stage behind the the frederick coffee company in the summertime is people would come up and they all had fairly inexpensive guitars with um inexpensive undersaddle pickups and, yep. the, and the ones that would have the preamp in the side with the, you know, the volume control and the three sliders, and they come up and plug in, and I'm all about sound, especially when I run an open mic, and the guitars would just sound like either cut glass or yeah. the, the low E string was so <laughs> predominant that it would knock the people over. And so I got used to going over and saying, do you mind if I just kind of look at your you know, a little preamp right there, making it look like, you know, I was just inquisitive, you know, oh, what do you got there? You know, they'd show me and I go, well, you know, how do you figure out how to slide these things? You're, you know, low, mid and high. And they go, what do you mean? How do I, I said, well, how do you figure out how to set them? They said, well, it's just how the guitar comes out of the case. <laughs> <laughs> and so I said, may I make a suggestion? So I would line them up to kind of alter the sound of what the guitar was producing. And they'd start to play and go, oh my gosh. <laughs> that sounds really good. <laughs> and so the, the good, yes, the good thing about the, the K&K mini, minis, um, Pure Western minis, was no matter who comes up, I know exactly what it's, it's going to sound like the guitar for the most part. So if it sounds tinny, it's not the K&K's fault, it's the guitar. <laughs> yeah, no, and that's, 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 that was my thing with them is that when I installed the very first one, I put it in a Weber. It was just a passive mm-hmm. at a Weber OM, and that's been 98, I guess it was. And uh, I, was, I was just like gobsmacked because no batteries, 
It yeah. sounded great. And I was, you know, doing coffee shops and small places at that time. And, and it really was just the most simple thing there was. I had so many friends that have that active fishman or something. And of course they leave it plugged in and the battery goes dead or mm-hmm. it's in the middle of the set and uh, the battery would go dead and I could just keep playing. And it sounded phenomenal. Now I did like the, I thought the, the larger disc, um, transducers had a fuller sound the problem with a lot of the guitars is the bridge plate's not large enough to to accommodate the large ones i think that's why he started doing the the minis um, right predominantly because they just because i had a i have a custom guitar or two and a quarter of the the transducer is off the, the bridge plate and it just right. created all kinds of weird things. So when he came out with the minis, it was like I switched them out, but I like the sound of the large transducers better. I just think it has a little bit more body to it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you got your, the transducers twice or three times the size. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and most of the guitars I had or in have uh, were big enough to accommodate. One of the things that was great about those is that I had a few that were weird and, And so what I would do is I would slide the two outer ones up against the X braces. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes I would even stick one on behind the bridge plate on the very top of the guitar, the middle. Ah. And uh, I got great results with that. It seemed to be, it was like a hand grenade. If you were close, Mm -hmm. you know, there were people that were real anal and they would want to get them exactly under the strings. But, you know, they failed to understand it is it is a soundboard transducer. So it is the whole top is alive and that whole area around the bridge is kind of the sweet spot. That's where all the energy is coming into. Uh, now, so you can, you can do, you can get a great sound out of them. Now you're, you're young enough that you may or may not remember these back in the 1970s when, when I would, cause I had that Martin D 28 and then I, very few guitars had pickups in them other than ovation at that point in time. And they came out and I, was it a, um, Marcus Berry had a little stick on, but there was one that looked like a, a buffalo head nickel. Do you remember that one? I don't, but I have the Marcus Berry. Oh, do you? The, yeah, it's a little, uh, yeah, in fact, my wife has a 74D35, and, and I was looking at it, I go, oh, this has a pickup. And I looked inside, she had them on too, and I actually plugged it in. It sounded pretty good. Yeah, so. yeah, because that was, that was the only pickup you could, those types of things. And I would sit there for hours moving that thing around on the outside of the guitar, trying to find the best spot. And so when the ovation came out, it's as much as I don't necessarily like the ovation amplified sound. Um, I did play one for a while because it was just so darn easy. All I had was the volume control. I don't even think mine had any EQ on it. I think it was just a, you know, a zero to 10 and that was it. Yep. Yep. Well, and I mean, you have to go with what you have at the time. I and mean, that was like fire. When, yeah. when you could, I mean, I watched Glenn Campbell, Yeah, you know, he was like one of my favorite guitar players back in the day. And, 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 you know, nobody had a point of reference. You didn't go, Oh, well that doesn't sound like the guitar at all. Nobody cared. And, uh, so now there's so many options, uh, and great options for so little money. I, I, tell these younger people i said you know back in the day when you buy something it it costs real money (laughs) i mean i think i paid a hundred i mean i bought that barkus berry and i think it was in like 
1980 or something because I had to, I was playing my D18 in jazz band and I didn't have just for chunk and chords and I didn't have anything. And I think the bark is one of the music stores brought this thing over. And I, I think if I'm not mistaken, it was like 120 bucks. Yeah. And like 1980 money. And uh, now you can, for 99 bucks, you can buy the, the K and K. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's a much better sounding thing and that's in today's money. So yeah, it's, it's everything is has to do with when something came out, when they first amplified guitars, Ovation, and then Takamini came out, and they were the new thing. And and so now you have all these different companies that are producing pickups, and you know Yamaha does as well. They've yep. got their own passive pickup system, and it's pretty darn good. Yeah. Now, of all the guitars you have either owned or played but not owned, is there <laughs> one or two that you wish you owned now uh no i like i said i've got my that bush euro and it's uh it's probably it's the best sound i mean i've let guys that are you know candy react guys play and i've let people play it and i mean they've got ten twelve thousand dollar guitars and they all get that same look on their face which mm-hmm. is like holy crap that thing's got the pudgiest trebles i've ever heard in my life it's it's very very tight on the bottom end it's very articulate i'm like yeah that's why i bought it <laughs> uh, so i uh, that would probably probably the only well I, I could answer that the only guitar i think i regret getting rid of was i had it and i think i think it's on the uh, inside of that uh album you were talking about tomorrow's perfect plan it was the david weber it was a round body mm-hmm. cedar walnut it was a cedar walnut guitar and i remember it was damaged in shipping shipping and and i went up to canada and saying david's a really nice guy and he sold it to me for like 800 bucks or 850 bucks and uh it was it really was a great guitar and, and i liked the walnut so that was that's probably the only guitar that that's gotten away from me that that I, I probably should have hung on to. So what is the, and I know it's still kind of up in the air because we don't know what the world is, how soon we're <laughs> going to get back to a normal or... The, Somewhat normal. <laughs> yeah. So what is your plan for the next year? Is it a combination of as many live gigs as you can and recording some more? What's, your, what's on your horizon? Well, I'm, I'm, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to build as many gigs uh, as I possibly can because that's, you know, it's, it's where you get all your ideas and you interact with people. And, you know, of course, I've been writing more stuff and I'm slowly recording. And, um, you know, I usually will throw them on my Facebook page or Instagram. I've got an Instagram page and I'll just put down an idea or, a, a, you know, a portion of a song. It's only like a minute long. But, uh, you know, just to sort of throw it out there and see what happens. Well, if you do put any on, whether it's a download situation or if you do produce some some physical cds let me know because i would love to purchase um one of the the new ones i you know i I, trust me i love free mp3s but i always feel a little badly and i will tell people because i'm going to do it myself on that free songs page it does say donations gratefully accepted and you can see where you can you can donate if you'd like and i will do that myself the uh, because I've made use of a couple of the the, the uh, songs in this in this show, but the uh, I this has been wonderful. I'm so glad you agreed to talk to me today. Well, Todd, you know it's it's great to talk with you, and it's great to. I'm hoping to get out that way, and of course, then meet face to face because we've you know emailed each other uh, for I don't even know how I don't know how many years a decade or 
something like that. And yeah. so it'd be great to get out and actually meet you and uh, see you. My wife has family in Warwick, New York and, and in Jersey. So hopefully we can do that. Well, like I said, I will, I should be able to get this on the live, if not late tonight, sometime tomorrow. I've got a business meeting in the morning, but by midday, early afternoon tomorrow, I should have some time to get it, get it up there. But again, thank you so much and um, continued good luck with uh, live music and whatever you do as far as recording and, and releasing new songs. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it, Todd. All right, Carl. All righty. Thanks again. You betcha. Bye-bye. Bye. That was Carl Tostin. What a fun conversation that was. Um, I mean, you know, he starts talking about these sus chords, things like that. And I'm not a technical player and I just have to go, uh-huh, 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 as if I know what I'm talking about. I will play on my guitar sometimes and people say, well, you, do you know what that chord is? I have no clue. It, it's a nice sounding chord. And they'll say it's a, you know, they'll give me all these technical names, but uh, you can tell that Carl really knows what he's talking about. And to leave the show, I'd like to play another song from his Tomorrow's Perfect Plan CD. And again, that CD was from 2004. And if you um, would like to know more about Carl, it's carltosten.com. C-A-R-L-T-O-S-T-E-N.com. And uh, definitely listen to some of the uh, the free songs. Um, download them, but uh, send him some donations so we can help keep him making music. And we're going to be listening to Still Got My Dream. Well, it's early morning, wake up To the sound of my baby crying In just two more hours, it's off I go To a job you know I hate But it pays the rent and feeds the kids This ain't how we saw it All those years ago when I was free I still have my dreams Of my little red sports car with no back seat But I climb into a Subaru It's a wagon, I confess And I cruise on down to 90 With all of my regrets Still thinking about my dreams my little red sports car with no max seat You and me baby cruising with the top pulled down On some solitary road Where there ain't no children's sounds Just the sound the road makes Flying under our wheels You and me baby Remember how it feels Every day I am hard at it Trapped behind my desk But I keep on browsing through the classifieds Trying to quench the anger I possess At my fast and fading dreams Of my little red sports car with no back seat 
Thank God I found what I was looking for Scraped together what I needed Yeah, the seller said it doesn't run so well I can get it really cheap Oh, finally got my dream I got my little red sports car with no back seat But it coast into the driveway You know it barely made it home Disappointed I rolled it in the garage Close the door, turn the radio on And I'm trying to find something But there's darkness all around me And I'm not feeling very free And over there it seems a lot Like this broken down car Think it's gonna cost me more to fix it Guess I'll just leave it here in the dark And oh, I'll dream away Oh, I'll run away Guess I'll hide away inside of my little car The Wispy Bump Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series is produced by me, Todd, middle initial C. Walker. Yes, that's right, it's me, at the Wispy Bump Music Studio in Frederick, Maryland. All music on the podcast is played by permission from the artist. If you're enjoying the series, please feel free to share the link. It's wispymopmusic.com podbean.com and podbean is spelled p-o-d-b-e-a-n or you can find the show on either itunes or apple podcasts thanks so much for listening catch you next time